Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I'm Collier Landry, subject of the investigation discovery documentary of Murder in Mansfield. On New Year's Eve 1989, I awoke in the middle of the night to the sound of two loud thuds. The next morning, my mother was missing, but I knew she was no longer alive. No one believed me except one detective. And 25 days later, police found my mother's body buried beneath the basement floor of my father's new home he purchased for his mistress. I had witnessed a murder. And at the age of 12, I testified against my father at his months-long murder trial. He is still incarcerated to this day. I'm Collier Landry. And I'm Brenda Fisher. And this is Moving Past Murder. So, Brenda, when I was a kid, there was this computer game. It was called Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? Oh, yeah, I remember that. So I think, we're gonna, <laughs> I think the, new, the new game is Where in the World is Brenda Fisher? <laughs> because our last right? several podcasts we've had you in airports now we have you in a hotel room and yes. uh, you are a traveling woman like carmen san diego so carmen san diego was like a thief right wasn't she like stealing things well, i don't know now i think <laughs> i probably am more of the where's waldo type <laughs> <laughs> right because i have been that buried i have been buried in a intense editing session the last 72 hours for a very large corporation veiled in secrecy <laughs> in a hotel room not speaking to anyone everybody's like where did you go i'm like i can't really tell you it's just all uh, very top secret very very top secret but interesting and fun and and creative so on that note brenda shall we get to it yes let's do it all right So, Brenda, we've had a few holidays pass. First of those being my father's birthday. Yes. On May 1st, he turned 78. And this is his 31st birthday in incarceration. Wow. Which is absolutely bananas to me uh, to even think about. That's like three quarters of my life, pretty much. So that's an interesting sort of, I wouldn't call it a milestone. It's a bad milestone. Uh, and then the second one was Mother's Day, which which followed this, uh, you know, a few days after. So which is always a dicey holiday for myself. Uh, but I, you know, I feel fortunate because not only did I have a wonderful mother that raised me until I was 11 years old, but unlike many people, I got to have the experience of having two mothers. My wonderful adopted mother, Susan Ziegler, who carried the torch uh, shortly thereafter. And I'd like to think she produced a somewhat stable and wonderful human being. <laughs> I think so. You're all right. 
I also think that when she listens to this podcast, she's never going to speak to me again for mentioning her. Oh, snap. <laughs> she might not be pleased about that, but you know, hey, it is what it is. Uh, so speaking of mothers, so we have a little bit of a uh, an update on this Melinda Davis case. Uh, I believe it was yesterday. John Henry Mack was arrested finally for her murder. Yes. After kidnapping her. And uh, I'm reading the article here in the Mansfield News Journal. Uh, again, my... My local uh, person of interest, Shelly Wilson Seckel, uh, sent this article to me. <laughs> Text message said, they got him. So Yay. they got him for whatever that is. It's, you know, as much as we want to say, oh, they got him. Uh, it's still tragic. There's children involved. There's a loss of life that is completely senseless. And, uh, and as our friend Dave Messmore told us, they are seeking the death penalty against this guy, it looks like. Yep. And I think, uh, and I don't know if we played that part of Dave's interview or not, but David told me, he goes, yeah, it's going to be a death penalty case for sure. And that was a couple months ago when he said that. So he was right. Look at that. Even when you're a retired police captain and detective, you uh, are still in the know. Yep. You can peg him. That's for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we've also had a lot of interest drummed up on our YouTube channel regarding this case with Todd Blevins and Rebecca Harris. And I just want to say for the record, I understand emotions run really high in these types of situations. And in no way are we defending anyone or, or, or making light of any situations or saying or pointing the finger at anyone. We were just discussing this because it's something that's interesting to me, having come from you know Mansfield and Richland County, going through what I went through with the murder of my mother and then doing this podcast, Moving Past Murder. I, I like to talk about these subjects because I think that it, it brings us all to a sort of sense of, of healing, but we've had some, we've had some emotions run high on the YouTube channel with people yes. writing some things and we're not trying to stir up any, we're not trying to kick the hornet's nest or do anything like that. We, we respect everyone involved and Absolutely. we just really want to get to the truth and we want to give people the opportunity to say what they feel is, is the truth and what, what they know. Uh, I, I'm, I love to hear these people. And I, I know Brenda, you've been corresponding with a few of them. Yes. And, and family um, members. Yeah. Why don't you just give me a little update on that? So basically there have been a few family members that have commented and um, have also reached out via email to me. And I'm hoping that we can connect. Um, we'd love to speak with anyone who would like to speak to us. When we, and again, what Collier said, we want to make sure that you know that we're coming from a place of just hearing the information through the media, what you know, we're able to understand and kind of pick up, um, but we know how the media is. And there are a lot of holes that are left that can only be filled in by people who truly knew them. And I know that there's love coming from both sides of this. There are children involved. Absolutely. And, you know, we just want to make sure that you know that we, you can absolutely talk to us if you'd like to come on the podcast and you know speak your truth and and be heard i think that it can be very um cathartic and healing absolutely absolutely and, and that is what you know that's the impetus for me doing this in the first place and is the impetus for me making a murder in mansfield to bring awareness to these issues and also again not being a silent bystander and saying look this is the truth this is what happened this helps you know not only uh uh defend a narrative or or 
or, or stick up for those that have been affected by this violence, by the senseless tragedy, but also to really make sure the truth doesn't go unheard because, you know, a lot of times the media will publish what they want to publish to sell headlines and to sell advertisements and newspapers or digital newspapers and things like that. I'm not suggesting that anyone is doing that, but we all know, I especially, and so does Brenda living in the Hollywood machine, that they right. do this. <laughs> and yes. the media likes to frame their own narrative to suit their own agendas. So I, again, I'm not suggesting anyone is doing that, but it does happen. And we've seen it play out on a grand scale in this country for you know decades now. Uh, so that said, Absolutely. moving on, this, this guy, John Henry Mack has been arrested. So I'm hoping that this brings some sort of closure to get justice for this uh, poor woman, Melinda Davis and her family and her, her four children. Uh, again, I don't know what to say. It's, it's, yeah. it's a tough situation. It's a tough situation. Uh, so regarding my father, so it was his 78th birthday, uh, incarcerated. And I, for one of the first times reached out to my father and sent him a birthday email. And I didn't get a response initially because the little JPay app pops up on my phone. Uh, and I just happened to check it because I was concerned because my stalker, as we did the episode uh, a few weeks back, has been in communication with him. And I think when I was looking through the uh, email that she forwarded me, she had had something like 25 correspondences with him for God knows yeah. what. Uh, so I was kind of worried because I personally do not like anyone trying to frame my own personal narrative or affect my relationship with my father, whatever that may be. Uh, that is, you know, between us and someone else interjecting themselves unnecessarily is uh, classless to say the least. So we're going to see what my father has to say. Uh, and we're going to do that right this second. So I'm going to pull this app up. I have not read this email. So this is going to be the first time. And everybody, everyone that's watching on YouTube, I'm going to show you on the phone. So what is it? Okay. Let's find it in our Apple iPhone here. Hey, movers. Did you know that one in five Americans has learned a new language on their bucket list? If you're one of them, make 2024 the year you finally check it off with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Designed by over 150 language experts, Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are your passport to speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Real people, real conversations, that's the Babbel way. Babbel's tips and tools are not just lessons. They're companions in real-life situations. The approachable, accessible content is delivered through conversation-based teaching, ensuring you're ready to shine in the real world. Before Babbel, I couldn't imagine effortlessly ordering food, asking for directions, or chatting with local merchants, and all without consistently checking a language app while I'm on vacation. But Babbel makes it easy, providing the practical skills you need for real-life scenarios. Struggling with pronunciation? Babbel's got your back with speech recognition technology, helping you perfect your accent and sound like a native speaker in no time. Hola. Hola. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash collier. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash collier, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash collier. Rules and restrictions may apply. Boom. Okay. So now everyone sees it on our YouTube channel. Yay. All right. And it says email. And inbox. And there we go. Oh, there's a lot of unread emails right here for anyone that can see. 
but we are going to specifically look at this one, which was sent on the 3rd of May. So this was a couple of days after my father's birthday. And let's see what he says. This will be interesting because I have not had any correspondence with him since this, uh, this wonderful stalker decided to take over that, <laughs> that correspondence. Oh, but there is uh, oh, there's lots of emails from this, this year. Oh, that's interesting. Let's, uh, but let's see this one. So this is dated. So even these are, oh, okay. Oh, I, I'm reading one of the lines here. This is from February the 1st. It says bumper on January 24th, 2021. I received the follow, which looks like I received the following. Now, January 24th, I believe is the message that the stalker sent my father. I think that's around the time, the time and date. Yeah. That's interesting. That will be another episode. Let's go to this latest one. Okay. That says, wow. See, now I want to read these, but as everyone can see, there's little dots next to these, which means they have been unread. I have not looked at these. So we are live and going to read this from John Boyle Jr. 5321. Going to click on it. Okay. Oh, wow. This is, uh, of course, my father's page. It's a long, verbose document. 322 in the afternoon on the 3rd of May. Bumper, thank you for the B-Day wishes and very pleased to hear from you. I also want to thank Blondie for her good wishes. Now, Blondie is my chihuahua for everyone that may or may not know, my 16-year-old chihuahua, who I I have to bring her on the program. Yes, you do. People need to see her outside of my Instagram. I asked some of the pilot dog trainers and they said she is a grand old dame for for certain. I'm sure she is with you. I'm glad you are doing okay. I am sorry about the receipt of this and apparently all JPay, JPay emails, and they are all line after line without any paragraph separation. The incoming e- emails are as the author writes them, which would really drive me crazy if I was receiving them. In here, the answer to any anomaly from emails to visits to Medicare to food, medical care to food, etc., is the same old mantra, quote, it's prison. Anyhow, I laughed at the attached card. The guys in my dorm made me a card, signed it, and they gave it to me with some wraps they, they made for me. Everyone in the dorm, which is 63 men, received one of my B-Day wraps. Microwave cooking and gastronomy at its finest. Ha. Huh. One of the guys made me a cheesecake loaded with M&M's, Hershey bar pieces, and Reese PB cups split in half as decorations on top of the cheesecake. Incidentally, the only, quote, Mexican food I ever ate was at was when we all would stop at Chi-Chi's and Sandusky coming back from Lake Erie. So the quote rap world has been a new experience for me in prison. COVID-19 restrictions continue to rule our world here and we near, and we wear masks, socially distance and are not permitted to gather in groups. How do you socially distance in prison? That's gotta be, that's gotta uh. be really, really difficult thing. Cause I've been inside this. A lot of people might not know this. I have been inside my father's prison, not just the visiting room and not just the prison with that you see in a murder in Mansfield. But uh, prior to making the film, I spent a lot of time. Uh, Marion Correctional Facility used to uh, have a division of video, audio, and web design and animation. And they did all the production, uh, production stuff for the state of Ohio. And I would go in there into the actual prison and teach some of the prisoners how to use uh, programs that I use professionally, like Final Cut Pro, Adobe Photoshop. Uh, well, at that time, I guess it was, uh, they were also doing stuff on 3D Studio Max, which is no longer a thing. Uh, but, you know, 3D Studio Max and uh, I think even Flash for those of the 
those of you who remember the old Macromedia days, Macromedia Flash, because they were they were behind versions before it got bought by Adobe. So that's a little nerd speak for everyone that might get that. But anyway, so I would go in there. So I've actually been in the actual physical prison itself. And I'm going to tell you something. It's, it's pretty much impossible to socially distance there or maintain, yeah, that six feet of space. I had the Moderna vaccine. 128 and 225 without any problems. Some of the other men received the J&J vaccine and became ill with all sorts of flu-like symptoms. So overall, I have been healthy in spite of our chaos in here. Less than half the staff and less than half the inmates have taken their COVID vaccines. Yes, there is a distrust in the vaccine or vaccination hesitancy. The people administering the vaccine and the motives of the ODRC in giving prisoners the vaccine before the general public was eligible to receive the vaccine, etc. For some particular reason, I have felt energized from the vaccine. Really weird, eh? Anyhow, I am pleased to hear from you, and I, I believe we should keep in touch with weekly email contact. Please send me your address so I can send you items. I still have your Rowena, Rowena as your address, but we must change that because lots has happened in here regarding ODRC policies. Also, please send a written letter to my case manager. See, this is what my father does. He gives me assignments. It's like homework <laughs> assignments all the time. This is why I don't open these letters. Like I now have homework. I have to contact somebody. I have to let them know. I have to update an address. Like, no, it's, it's a lot. Um, oh, and now he wants to contact my sister. Okay. <laughs> also, please send a written letter to my case manager indicating your change of address so she can change my official records. I have made the same request to Chrissy. Send the letter. She she will not accept emails to see blah, blah, blah. We're not going to read this person's name just to indicate that your letter is an official change of address. If they have the official change, you cannot visit, send me money, or even send me a book from Amazon or any other bookstore. Oh, they can get Amazon books now? This is interesting. Oh, yeah. All part of these new COVID policy changes. Incidentally, visiting is absolutely no contact. Both parties must sit behind a plexiglass shield. All visitors must be swabbed here for COVID to be negative. Wait 20 minutes for test results. If positive equals no entrance, there are no more vending machines available. And, and visits are limited to two people, no more than two hours duration and only once a month. The visit room has been completely redone. That's where I got my vaccine shots and you would not recognize it anymore. It's a new post COVID world out there and in, in here too. I'm glad you can get all the outside time in for your exercise and that you are taking care of yourself. Please be careful with all the craziness going on at the moment. Situational awareness all the time. Take nothing for granted or be nonchalant in your daily life. I am the failure that I am and regret all the harm I have caused you and others Please be careful not to dilute your life as I have done. I cannot correct my mistakes, but must live with them into eternity. Your closing comment reminded me of the film Road to Perdition and Jude Law's words about his father. No one should be like me, period. I hope you were able to send condolences to Reverend Cola concerning his brother's passing. Take care. Stay safe. Keep the faith. Love and miss you. Pops, keep in touch. Huh. Does that sound like a different vibe than what you normally get from him yeah yeah that's uh an interesting um commentary do you think that he's being sincere or do you think that oh, i don't know he's telling you what you want to hear i don't you know i don't uh that's a really tough question because i think that yeah is he giving me lip service or is he actually mean what he says I don't know. I think you, you kind of hope that he 
might actually be sincere and, you know, willing to take responsibility, but I know half of you is thinking, yeah, I don't think so. Well, you know, half of me is like, is kind of going, you know, I just read this live <laughs> mm-hmm. and now I have a lot of emotions cascading down and um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's a tough one because of course, despite the destructive force to put it lightly that my father is, I think that deep down inside everyone wants to go oh okay look they really are sorry for what they've done or they really are uh they really mean what they say and it's not just lip service the other the flip side of me and the cynic in me which i'm not the most cynical person i think a lot of people know that but i'm sort of a perpetual optimist but i guess the cautious side of me having dealt with this for my entire life is uh that what he says you know the mistakes and this and that. Now, is he is he referring to as he had re, you know when we read one of his other letters, his mistakes being you know him uh, you know trusting people in Mansfield or trusting the wrong people in his life, or is he referring to the mistakes of you murdered my mother, you 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 committed these mistakes? I personally err on the side of he's referring to those types of things and not his personal mistakes of murdering my mother. Right. I think that he believes that his mistakes are, you know, I got caught <laughs> right. or I trusted people who I thought were my friends that were going to help me get away with something or whatever that is. I really sincerely feel like that is his, uh, that's what he's referring to. I know my dad a little too well. Uh, I mean, he sounds like it's, I mean, look, I, <laughs> despite everything, he's healthy. He's still completely coherent to write these letters, uh, which is, which bode well, bodes well for my genetics. Right. And I don't mean to be solipsistic about it, but come <laughs> on guys, come on guys. I know you're like rolling your eyes. I'm sure some of my friends are like, call your, come on, don't bring it back to you. But no, really, I have no, indi- this is one of the frustrating things. I have no indicators of what my life is going to be like as far as, as I age very gracefully uh, over a period of multiple decades. Uh, <laughs> And hopefully maybe even a century mark, you never know. Uh, but, you know, perhaps uh, it is, it's a good sign because he's, you know, he's 78 years old now and he's coherent. He's been living in like probably the worst, you know, what are some of the conditions, worst conditions yeah. imaginable? Like you don't have access to like, you know, proper health care or even fresh air, know, <laughs> even fresh, fresh fucking air you know, you know it's, not, it's not like you know go down to creation in venice and get the 20 dollar you know juice detox when you don't right. feel so good and you're you've got a you've got the sniffles you go touch the sniffles yeah. uh you're eating crappy food and eating crappy yeah. food so anyways it's this sort of search for identity uh search for identity is the wrong thing but i want to speak on that in a second uh i it's sort of the search for um 
because my mother is obviously no longer with right. us and hasn't been for 31 years, I, I don't know what her genetic history would have played out and what she would have been like. I like to think that she was, you know, would be completely healthy as a her horse and a complete pain in my ass every day, which I would be willing to accept. Uh, but I picture her um, playing tennis and having brunch. I do. I do. And then, and not leaving me alone about not finding the right woman. Oh, or yeah. Why haven't you been married? Why don't you have children? Why, when am I going to get to have a grandbaby? Yeah. I can see all of those things uh, playing out if she were still alive, but she is not. But uh, so I think that I, I think that, uh, you know, any little glimmer of hope I could get uh, as far as what my future health situation looks like is, is good. So I want to segue into something, as I mentioned, identity and sort of the struggle. So when I was younger and so I, when I was adopted by my adoptive family, the Zigglers, uh, it was around 13, um, I got into probably in, when I was in high school, I got into a lot of adoption groups and I dealt with a lot of kids who were adopted. Uh, and at that time, the Ohio Department of whatever it is, child, child services or, or whatever, uh, if you turn 18, basically somebody would come to visit you from social services and they would give you an envelope with all of your information and you would basically find out that you were adopted which is great for a lot of people because, oh, I get to know my birth parents, but not so good for a lot of people because they don't know their birth family. And they also don't know that they're adopted uh, because, and I, I would talk to a lot of these kids because of sort of the gravity or the gravitas that I carried with myself because of my situation. I was able to talk to a lot of kids who were going through this sort of rebellion because they were you know, I've adopted. My parents lied to me. And that's a natural reaction, by the way, uh, 100%. Uh, and, and, you know, you're a teenager, you're full of angst and you're just trying to figure out what the world is, you know, and you're studying for, you know, high school finals and dealing with dating and, you know, driving and jobs and whatever it is. And then you get this thrown on your plate. There's a lot for anyone to deal with. Uh, so I would kind of talk to these kids and be like, you know, look at me. This is what I, you know, dealt with, and you know, it, it helped bring a lot of, you know, kids kind of back into like, oh, putting it in perspective and going, this isn't a bad thing. You're not a, you're not a bad kid because somebody quote gave you up. You don't know what the motive is always behind that. They could have been like, it, it could have been a heart wrenching, and gut wrenching thing where they just. Um, they couldn't take care of you. And they're like, I need to give this kid a better life than the life that I can lead. They could have been in an abusive relationship. They could have been a drug addict. They could have been, there, there's so many things that causes a child, a parent to give a child up. It's not just willy nilly that, Oh, I had a kid and let me leave him in a bassinet on the side of the street, which brings me to my next point. Brenda, a couple of weeks ago, I think I, I, I text messaged you. I got down there and I don't watch a lot of like true crimey, documentaries or anything like that, despite the nature of this podcast, <laughs> the nature of my film, Roberta Mansfield, I am not a true crime sort of junkie person because I lived it. So I'm not, I don't have a, you know, a, a whodunit is one thing, but you know, I'm not into like the murders and all these weird things and serial killers and things of that nature. Even though I have a ton of friends that are, and God bless them. And that's super cool. And there's a lot in that psychology. That's absolutely fascinating. However, I turned on this documentary that I saw on Hulu 
and it came out in 2020 and it is called the most dangerous animal of all which is based off a New York Times bestseller that came out in 2014 of the same name about this gentleman named Gary L. Stewart. Gary L. Stewart is a guy who was adopted by a wonderful family named the Stewarts when he was a baby. And he had lived his entire life. He had been through, I think, five marriages at the time. Uh and multiple situations, he had this sort of restless side and he was a very successful entrepreneur. I don't know what he does, but I think he has like a machine shop and he does something like that. Guys, guys done well for himself. It comes from a really loving family and everything like that. But he had this sort of burning thing inside of him to find out who his birth parents were and what, what led them to give him up for adoption. So as I was saying earlier, the identity thing, right? So this gentleman uh, went on a and I understand because when I go down a rabbit hole, it's like, it's just all consuming. Went down a rabbit hole after a woman contacted him, left a message on his answering machine saying, I think I'm your mother. And he met with her. He spent a week with her and she didn't know a lot about his father. Anyways, to make a long story short, spoiler alert. I was three and a half episodes into this four part series, right? Where he's going to visit mm-hmm. his father's grave in Mexico. And his, the, the father's name was Earl Van Best. Now, at this point in time, this gentleman was 100% convinced, and as was I. And I texted Brenda, right? I'm like, Brenda, I've got to interview this guy on the podcast. We have to talk to him. We got to find him. Because this gentleman wrote this book, The Most Dangerous Animal of All, because he was looking for his birth father after meeting his birth mother and not getting the answers that he wanted. You know, sometimes we, the answer you seek is not the answer you need, as my TED Talk is about. Uh, shameless plug. We, uh, <laughs> he was obsessed with finding who this was, and he came to the conclusion that his father was a Zodiac killer, and he had all these things lined up. So I'm all engrossed in this. Like, I'm like, oh, my goodness. What is that? I, I got to talk to this guy. Then I continue with the rest of the episodes, and the story begins to unravel. He gets a lot of hate online and things like that. And he's like drinking one night. He's engaging all these people on these forums who are obsessed with the Zodiac killer and finding out who the Zodiac killer is, because that case is still unsolved. And I don't know a lot about it other than it took place in the San Francisco area. Um, He was a serial killer, killed multiple people, wrote lots of cryptic letters that involved ciphers. And that's why he was called the Zodiac killer, something to that effect. Anyways, he believes his father was a Zodiac killer, had all this research got this very famous true crime author to co-write this book with him, which became a New York Times bestseller published by HarperCollins, huge publishing house. Make a long story short, in this documentary, the story starts to unravel and he's placed his hopes on like these DNA evidence and all these things, right? Uh, And he's like, I saw it on TV. And then they interview the gentleman who was the producer from Dateline or 2020 that said, yes, that data that we showed is not the real data because it's a open investigation and we cannot show FBI crime files on television. So they sort of based and they had their own, he had his own DNA test done with him and his father and the Zodiac killer's DNA and all this stuff. Right. And everything lined up. Turns out <laughs> that in this obsessive, because it just started just consuming him. He sort of fudged a little bit. He took, uh, not fudged or lied. He took creative liberties. And 
you gotta kind of i'm watching this and i'm watching the whole story unravel and like a just like an elon musk tweet on bitcoin just plummeting before our eyes and you just see this happening and and the whole story just comes unravel on camera the author is upset because she's like this you know this motherfucker lied to me and this that and the other really you know the mother his mother that had reached out to him doesn't speak hadn't spoken to him again because she read the book and said this is all like this isn't what happened or whatever and he was convinced that she was lying but he became so caught up in developing his own narrative out of his genuine desire to find out what his identity was and at the end of the day he has this breakdown on the stairwell where he believes that he, he was found according to the caseworker in his bassinet when her she was underage she was like 15 when she had him or 14 something she got married to an older man very weird not good this gentleman basically took the baby when she was at work and left the baby somewhere because he couldn't handle with, with the baby so basically gave the baby up just left him in the stairwell and this man has when he found that out has been struggling with why would somebody leave me why would they leave a child and this ultimately consumed him to the point where he concocted this entire story in his head that his father was a Zodiac killer. And therefore he was having, he had that identity wow. and that became his identity. And I'm sure people would say, Oh, it's insidious. It was wrong. And he made a bunch of money from the book and this, he didn't eat the money. The guy was already well off. Doesn't yes. He made more money off the book and the writer and the writer was very upset because it, it, it called into question her artistic integrity. And she was just like, I believed him. He had all the proof. I believed him. I didn't think to then double check, but then she goes back. She talks to investigators on her own little mini journey and talks to the investigator. He was like, no, he said he can't rule out my father. And the investigator was like, well, yeah, but the context of me saying I can't rule out your father as the Zodiac killer means I can't rule out anybody, including your father is what he said. <laughs> like, so basically right. I cannot rule out the entire general public of the San Francisco area between those dates including your father. And he took it as gospel of that. That means he can't rule out my father. So therefore the DNA matches. And he just kind of took that narrative and ran with it in his quest to find identity. So I guess I'm watching this documentary. I'm sure a lot of people were like, Oh, what the hell this that? I watched it with a really very overwhelming sense of empathy because having been around these kids growing up and them finding out who what their identity was and find, trying to struggle for their search for identity, this gentleman just fell in the same trap. And it yeah. just consumed him. He just had the means and the time to really just spin the narrative around in his head. Like all of us do, by the way. All of us create these things in our head and we, we play up situations and we make things a lot more grandiose than they are, whether it's a problem that we're dealing with or whether it's a scenario or a love relationship or whatever. You're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of spiraling out of control because it's just human nature, right? You get in your own head and you can't get out of it. That's what this guy did. But it was a fascinating thing because I'd really wanted to interview him as a guest and be like, so you're, because I watched this and I, here's, here's the whole moral of the story. I watched this story and for the first time in my life, the very first time in my life, I'm watching this going, wow, this guy's life is as fucked up as mine. <laughs> And you know what? It was all bullshit. Oh, wow. <laughs> there you go. Um, on that note, I am Collier Landry. And I'm Brenda Fisher. And this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks, y'all. 
For more information, please visit movingpastmurder.com or mpmpodcast.com. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Hulu, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment.